Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Charlie Tull has two lives, but he's not deceiving anyone. One life is his civilian one that he spends with his kids and his family. The second is his professional one that he spends with his other family, his firefighter family. In 2018, one of these fire family members, Eli, died suddenly of a heart condition. Three years later, in 2021, another fire family member, Scott, died of COVID. As you can imagine, talking about feelings isn't common in the world of frontline workers like Charlie. So coming on a podcast to talk all about grief was a pretty big leap for him. For Charlie, these deaths were shocking and disorienting. Eli and Scott were both strong, healthy guys who dealt with life-threatening situations as a regular part of their work. So the fact that they died suddenly, Eli from an undiagnosed heart condition, and Scott from an illness everyone thought he'd recover from, caught Charlie totally off guard. Charlie remembers feeling numb at first, living with that sense of disbelief of how could this happen? Then his instinct was to go underground with his grief. Over time, though, he realized just how important it was for him to keep talking about Eli and Scott, and that talking about them also meant touching into and sharing some of the pain over their deaths. Charlie and I do talk about grief, but we also talk about what it was like to be on the front lines of COVID, especially early on when he and his coworkers had to A, go to work, and B, go inside the homes of people who were sick. And they had to do both of those things with very little knowledge or information about COVID or how to protect themselves. One of the unique aspects of grieving for a coworker when you're a firefighter is that being a firefighter is more than just a job. It becomes part of your identity. As a firefighter, you work 24-hour shifts, so you basically end up living with your coworkers. They end up feeling like both friends and family members. So when one of them dies, their absence is felt in a really, really big way. I'm grateful to Charlie for taking a risk and coming on the show today to honor his friends and his coworkers, Eli and Scott. Charlie, thank you so much for making time to be part of Grief Out Loud today. You are the first firefighter we've ever had on the show. Awesome. It's great to be here. Happy to talk. As I was preparing for our conversation today, I was thinking about that there's certain jobs and careers that are so much more than just where we go and make some money. Like they become a part of our identity, how we see ourselves in the world, how the, how the world sees us. And I mean, I think about for my work, for sure, that happens to me. But I wonder for you, like, what does being a firefighter mean to you? Yeah, that's a good point. For me, you definitely get a sense that you're part of something, you know, bigger than yourself that especially the longer you do it the more and more you realize like the job is not about you it's about the community and you're directly affecting 
people's lives every day. There's a, it's a, there's a tired old saying that says, if somebody is calling us to, if they need our help, it's quite possibly the worst day of their life. So you're dealing with people that could be having the worst day of their life. And we go there to hopefully, you know, help and make the situation better. You really do take a step back at many points in your career and realize it's not just about you. Uh, you know, something else that comes up when I think about these roles we play in the world for our jobs that are bigger than just the work we're doing. For me, it's really hard for me to turn off my grief social worker brain when I'm walking around the world. I go on vacation and I'm worried that looks dangerous. Don't do that. You could die doing that. Someone has died doing that. Does does that part of your life as well where there's hard to have a clear separation from, you know, danger in the form of fire and just like I'm on vacation? For me personally, um, it's it's not. And that may sound strange. But, and once again, it comes with time as well. You start to prioritize your time off and your time away from seeing oftentimes traumatic things. And it helps you out in a way that makes you closer to your family as well, because you start to really pay more attention to you know, either your spouse or your kids or whatever. And that's what I use to really separate things that I may recognize in my civilian life. It's, it's, it's not hard because I just kind of roll my eyes when I see people doing crazy things. And I'm like that you shouldn't do that, but I have to, I have to step away because if I was on all the time, like turned on in that emergency state, I'd probably have a nervous breakdown. I could learn a lot from you, Charlie. Thank you for those wise words you have just shared. And along with like, you know, being a firefighter is a, it's a different kind of work. And my sense is that the coworker relationship that you share with other people in your department is also different than maybe your stereotypical average coworker relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And, uh, it is because when I, before I became a firefighter, I worked, I guess what you would say, just regular jobs, you know, nine to five types or whatever. And the relationship between my fellow coworkers at the fire department is completely different because we actually live together and uh, a lot of people outside looking in don't really realize that. Every department's a little bit different, but our schedules is the main thing that makes us closer together because we'll work at my department, we'll work a full 24 hour shift and that's considered one tour. And we're at the firehouse for 24 hours. So if you have a bad day with, you know, your superior or, you know, your peer at the job, you don't get to clock out at 5 p.m. and just go home and talk to, you know, whoever you want to talk to about how bad your day was or whatever. You're there until you get off the next morning when your tour is over. You grow a lot closer together 
because you learn a lot more about each other by spending that amount of time together. And you also have to get really good at a conflict resolution on the fly because you're there. There's no going home. Like you're there and you have to figure it out between each other. But all that being said, the bond that's forged between each other, especially at your own firehouse, that makes you a lot closer than really any other job that I've ever worked before. As you're talking, it almost sounds like you have two families. There's your like work firefighter family. And then I think you use the word civilian family, like the people who are at home family. Yes. Yeah. And you'll find that I I think a majority of people in the fire service would say that this is either my second family or they would call them family for the most part. There's always going to be some people at your job that you just don't really click with or you just don't get along with for whatever reason. But I have made friends that started out as complete strangers. Just they were co-workers, but they're friends and I consider them family that I could call at midnight on any given day. And I know that they would show up and be there just like my dad would or my brother would. It's they are my brothers and sisters. It's not really anything that you can experience until you actually do it, you know, for yourself. And two of those coworkers, friends, firefighter, family members have died in your life, Eli and Scott. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about each of them, like who they were in that family for you, what they were like as coworkers. Yeah, so Eli was, he was a young man when he passed. He didn't have very long on at the department when he passed. He was actually younger than I was. And uh, Scott was a little bit older. He had uh, come up through the ranks. But both of them were really great people, but they were also both really great at their jobs they were both considered kind of subject matter experts in each of their, you know, career paths and not saying that anybody I work with is a bad firefighter, so to speak, but both of those guys were people that the, the chiefs and the administration would have no problem calling on them to do anything and everything that needed to be done on a scene regardless of the circumstances. And what do you remember about hearing that each of them had died, knowing that Eli had a heart condition that he died of and and Scott died of COVID? Yes, Eli passed um, a few years before Scott did. Uh, His just really came out of the blue. He was a young guy, mid-20s, strong, played football in high school, just really healthy. He was uh, on our combat challenge team, which basically just means he was not only was he really good at technical firefighting, but he was also really athletic. And he went and did uh, competitions. It's really like a physical thing. So his passing and ultimately what we received as the cause of death was it was just shocking. 
there wasn't a single person that really could believe it when it happened. He had so much going for him. He had just started a, uh, like a side business, really smart guy, just a really funny guy too. Like I said, he was a big guy and he had a really, really big laugh. And it was just a guy that would always make you smile no matter where you were. So not only was he really great to have on scene of a emergency, he was also kind of like the comic relief that you could, you know, rely on to always put a smile on your face. And uh, Scott, like I said, he was a little bit older, uh, but still he wasn't in bad shape health wise or anything like that. And once again, just a guy that he, since he was older, he had a lot of experience and was just a wealth of knowledge that you can go to, to uh, ask questions about firefighting, about life. You know, he'd been around a while and uh, he did contract COVID as many of the people in our department did, but we just always assumed Oh, this is just something you'll come out of, you know, we'll see you on the other side. But he uh, ended up getting hospitalized with it. I remember they would post uh, pictures of him, the select few people, you know, his family, they could go in there and actually see him lay eyes on him. And he'd be, you know, holding up a thumbs up, you know, from his ICU bed and stuff. So we just continued to think, you know, he's going to pull through, he's going to make it out. But ultimately, you know, he succumbed to it. Both both instances were really uh, just just really shocking. Not anything we could have seen coming. I don't know if this feels like a fair assessment, but my sense is, you know, for both Eli and Scott, strong, healthy guys. And my sense is like in the firefighter community too, like needing to have a bit of I don't know if invincibility is the right word, but we are strong, healthy people doing strong, healthy preventative work and didn't have two of them die from physical ailments that seemed like it didn't match at all with how you saw them in the world with their physicality. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And to that point, just the community, you want guys in their mind, you think they're invincible. You want guys like that showing up to your house, you know, if it's on fire or if you're sick or whatever, the invincibility factor is a real thing in a lot of guys' minds. We don't necessarily have to think like that, but I just, I can speak for myself. Like I want to, I don't want to go inside of a burning building and be thinking about like, Oh, my back hurts today or, oh, is my knee going to give out when I'm going up this third flight of stairs or whatever? No, like you put that out of your mind whenever you go into these high intensity, you know, adrenaline fueled situations. So I think a large majority of the job does think like that. We probably think we are invincible more than we should. And, uh, and well, yeah, those two guys in particular, We never would have thought it would happen to them. You mentioned that a number of of people in your department also had COVID and everyone else kind of came through it. 
thinking back, do you, what role did that play in any sort of concern you had about being at the job when COVID first, you know, became quite the thing in 2020? It did. And I, uh, I remember it vividly when we first started uh, hearing about it being, uh, well, I'm in Arkansas. So I remember it starting on the East Coast. And that's when you first really started hearing about it. And it was one of those things where we just said, well, hopefully it won't come this way. But if it does, maybe it won't be that bad. Or it was very uneasy. I guess there was a very uneasy feeling throughout the department. We didn't really want to talk about it so much as far as being afraid of getting it. Because once again, that's one of those deals where if someone's calling us that they are sick, if it's a medical call and we go into sick people's houses all the time, whether it be, you know, flu or some other kind of disease or virus, but this, it just felt different even before we really knew it was different. And, and then, you know, there was really no guidance at first. Nobody really knew what to tell us. Do you just wear a mask? Do we put on our air packs? Do we fully like gown up in surgical gear? It was really, uh, it was kind of living in the wild west at first you were figuring something out for the first time. And I, it was scary because I wasn't scared for myself. I was scared for my family. Like I have two kids and I was terrified that I would give it to them because we just didn't know what the effects would be, especially on kids at that point. It was just, we all kind of huddled together and just had to put our heads together say, listen, we're still going to have to respond to these calls. You know, we have to go to someone's house if they call us. We can't just decide, no, we're not going in. Yeah, very uneasy, I would guess, is the word I would use to describe the first really year. Yeah, I mean, you're in a field where you can't work from home. There's no firefighting from Zoom. You have to actually go and be there in person and I remember back to that time of thinking how stratified the different fields and careers were in terms of who was going to be most at risk and who had the opportunity to protect themselves in other ways. Right. And um, I, I don't say it as like a brag or anything like that, because I know a lot of people were hurting. I never missed a day of work, not because I wanted to go in and deal with really sick people every day, but because I had to not miss a day of work. <laughs> it's it wasn't one of the you're, I mean, you you said it exactly right we can't you know take a zoom call to do our jobs or whatever we still have to show up and running medical calls is a big part of our job too not only just fighting fires and in the hospital it was a little different too because you can at least isolate people we were going in people's houses we are the front line basically we go in and assess the situation and then figure it out from there and when Scott and Eli both died, I know it was a, a few years apart, and talking about like the firefighter community being such a family, how how in general does your department respond? Like your coworkers, your superiors, the other firefighting families, like what's the response that happens when someone does die? So we have uh, three different 
cruise. And that's how we work 24 on, 48 off. So there's an A crew, a B crew, and a C crew. The crew that those individuals work on, they are the most affected, I would say, because they see them the most, especially their home station. As far as making like arrangements and stuff like that for people to be off, it's really up to their families. So we can't have full say in what it was. Eli, he was on C crew when he passed. So we kind of wanted to make sure that the most C crew people would either not be at work that day so they could actually go and attend and take part, you know, in his celebration of life and, you know, go to the graveside and all that. The administration, they, I mean, they understand, they get it. The mayor is ultimately our boss. We go to them and they help us out with, you know, getting a fire truck there at, you know, the graveside, just as kind of like a symbolic, you know, representation of a large part of their lives. You know, it's, we spend a third of our lives at the firehouse every third day. So we definitely want to make sure to show out for the families and let them know that they're not going to be forgotten, certainly by us and for each other, because we want to be there for each other to lean on each other, you know, the brotherhood. That's kind of it in a nutshell of how the department itself kind of handles those cases. And and with both Eli and Scott, were their deaths considered line of duty deaths? Um, Scott's was, and I believe Eli's was too. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I'd have to go back and check. Both of those were so, they, both of those were so kind of just traumatic that I, the fine details <laughs> kind of get a little lost and hazy in some of that. Speaking of the hazy detail part, like those early days, those early weeks and months, how, how has grief affected you for both of these coworkers and friends of yours? Well, I, I hear this word a lot when people talk about people passing or whatever, but numb, I would say, is, once again, this is me personally. And a lot of guys that I work close with at my home station, it's just a feeling of numbness, you know, almost disbelief that there's just kind of hollow reminders of those guys around their stations because I, I'll never forget when um, I actually got assigned to the station that Eli was working at when uh, he passed. And I had to eventually hang my gear on the same hook that he hung his gear on because we were the same rank in the same position. And it's just little things like that when you work in such a, a tight knit group. It, it's just always, it's always there. It's a reminder, you know, it's just kind of something that doesn't really let you, you know, forget who they were and where they were, you know, when all these things happened, but for the first, you know, couple weeks, it was hard, you know, it was emotional, uh, especially for guys that had to fill their spots to come in to work. Cause 
the trucks have to be staffed as much as it absolutely was horrible to lose those guys. The department had to keep going. We had to keep staffing the trucks and we had to keep working and making calls, but the work did kind of help take your mind off of it. Staying busy, you know, keeping your mind actively engaged on other things. You know, we, we wanted to be busy. Because if you have, if you're not busy and you're just sitting around, all you're doing is thinking about the loss. And then, you know, you certainly don't want those thoughts to, you know, manifest into any kind of, you know, physical sadness or anger or, yeah, however people process, you know, their own thoughts and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, staying busy definitely helps. Because I know me personally, I don't, <laughs> it's easier to not <laughs> think about it. Have there been things that you found weren't particularly helpful in your grief, whether from things from yourself or things from your professional community or things in your family? Like what's been not helpful? That That's kind of a hard one. Uh I'm trying to think of specific things that were not helpful because the community really did rally around us and the department and kind of let us know that they were thinking about it and hurting too. Uh, I guess just personally, the things that weren't helpful for me was just dwelling on it because I, kind of wanted to isolate myself from I mean really everyone when it first happened and I I didn't want to talk about it but in hindsight I know that that wasn't the best thing to do I should have talked about it more with my crew and how it was affecting me and you know let your guard down a little bit you know let people know that you're hurting you know let them see that you're human too because you want to be selfish in some ways and you know keep some memories and things to yourself and whatever but it doesn't help the family and it doesn't help your fire family holding it in and not talking about it I would say that's probably the least helpful thing are there ways that you and your fellow firefighters talk about Eli and Scott just in like the day to day. There's a lot of things that come up that we can kind of talk about now. Um, there's a, uh, a couple guys on the department that worked pretty close with Scott for many years, just as a quick kind of aside, Scott, he was a, a shorter man <laughs> in stature and they actually used him as a uh, uh, a measurement reference. Say, for instance, we'll be cooking, and somebody will say, "Hey, I need a uh, a Scott Chassel size cup of milk," meaning I would want I need a small, you know, cup or whatever. So they'll say, "Yeah, I need a, I need a little Scott Chassel size uh, hook." Hill. So that's one thing, particularly with uh, Scott, that will always keep him around. I mean, because that'll be passed down as a great joke for 
<laughs> many, many, many years. Eli, for him, there's uh, actually in the uh, the firehouse subs, like the restaurant around town, there's actually a bunch of pictures of him from when he used to do one of the combat challenges that I referenced earlier. So there's little reminders like that just kind of hidden everywhere, not only in the stations, but also kind of around the city where that we work in the like the calls that we ran on with those guys or the things that they did kind of the legendary pranks or hijinks that they pulled at the station or whatever even the time the things that they messed up yeah it was serious in the moment but oftentimes there are things that you come back and you laugh about later and if we find ourselves in a similar situation that as long as there's guys that keep talking about them, keep telling the stories about them to the younger generations, they'll never be forgotten. So we'll say, Oh yeah, remember when uh remember when Scott did this? Or you remember that time that Eli was hanging off the rope and he did this? And it's just we talk about them it's never sad really anymore because we don't want to be sad. We want to remember the good times. You know, we've been talking so much about grief in the context of your professional life and your firefighter community. And I wonder, Charlie, of like any losses that you've experienced in your personal life, if you notice any similarities or differences between how you grieve for folks in your civilian life versus having had, you know, a, a coworker, a fellow firefighter die. I'd say there's definitely similarities because you care about people almost exactly the same when you get so close to them, which is a unique thing about my work. And I, I find in myself that I react kind of the same way when people in my civilian life pass versus people that I know on the job when they pass. It's very similar because I consider them both my families. You're closer with some than others. I mean, obviously if my, if my father, you know, passed or something, that would be a little more hard than if one of my fire department friends passed. But I mean, we really are a family. So it's almost exactly the same every time. Just the circumstances, I guess, surrounding their passing really more dictate what feelings come for me. Because if someone's really, you know, old and sick and you can, you kind of know that the end is near, I feel like that's probably a little easier to process than something just so unexpected. What stands out to me really, Charlie, in listening to your answer is that I think for folks who don't work in the firefighter world, maybe don't give themselves as much permission to grieve in the same way for a coworker that they would for, say, a family member or a, a friend in their personal life. And so I'm hearing you say, like, just recognizing and honoring the depth of those relationships and really having permission to grieve in very similar ways. Yeah, because... We, we have to lean on each other more than your 
I hate to call it average job because I don't want to, you know, downplay anyone else's, you know, professional life or whatever. But we really do have to lean on each other more because we spend so much more time together. And we have to not trying to be dramatic, but we have to go into, you know, really sometimes life threatening situations or what could be life threatening situations. So there's a level of trust that you have to place in your crew members that not a lot of other professions that we know of have to have that kind of relationship. It's, it's probably that thing right there that lets us give ourselves permission to show, share our grief, you know, with each other because there's not a lot of other people that could understand how we felt about those guys because they just never spent the amount of time with them that we did outside of their own families in their you know civilian lives. So uh, one of the tenets of grief out loud and also of Dougie center where I work is like not to give unsolicited advice, but listeners we're about to give you some unsolicited advice. You're getting it because you signed on to this episode, <laughs> but I'm wondering, Charlie, like what advice would you give to another firefighter who is in a similar situation of having a crew member die? Uh, the first thing I would say is don't be afraid to express your feelings about that individual that passed talking out loud about those people you may not realize it in the moment but it really will ultimately help you move past a a lot of your grief there will always be you know a little part of you that's just incredibly sad about losing them but allowing yourself to be a little more vulnerable and talking about it to your other friends, you know, that you work with and even your family at home. We, I've learned it firsthand. You have to be able to talk about these things because the more you just hold on to it inside, the more you just feel just burnt up on the inside and you'll eventually burn out. Uh, you know, let your guard down a little bit. Talk about it. You know, cry about it if you need to. Well, thank you, Charlie, for, you know, making that next step to talk out loud about your grief about Eli and Scott by being on the show and sharing with me and sharing all uh, with all of our listeners. I know I well, I don't know, but I imagine you didn't think maybe a couple years ago, like, hey, one day I'm going to be on this podcast talking about <laughs> grief and my feelings. So I really appreciate you being willing to do that today. Yeah, yeah, you're you're welcome. It's it's just a, and you said it exactly right. It's it's years later now, and I want to honor those guys. It's like I said, with the young guys that are hired on now that don't know those guys, you have to keep talking about them because that's what keeps their memories alive. They were two great guys. I'll do everything I can to help keep their memories alive. Well, thank you. It's quite an honor to get to know a little bit about Eli and Scott through our conversation today. Thank you again, Charlie. Thank you. And listeners out there, I say it each and every time, but thank you so much for being part of our community, for making the show mean what it does, for sharing episodes with people that you think might be helped by what we're talking about here. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at grief 
outloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G, which is also the website where you can find all the past episodes of Grief Out Loud, as well as information about our local programming for Dougie Center here in the Portland, Oregon area, and all of our free downloadable tip sheets, activity sheets, and many, many other resources. I'm excited to share with you that Grief Out Loud is sponsored in part by the Chester Steffen Foundation. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.